the next episode of Nerd Clicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill, and it's time for another Game of Thrones episode recap, season eight, episode two. A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Before we get into our recap, Carrie, where are you joining us from this week? I am in Sofia, Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Don't ask me anything about it because I quite literally just got here a few hours ago. I have no idea. I don't know anything about this city, unfortunately, yet. I have a couple days off to explore. The only thing about it that I know is that we're in a really nice hotel and there's a really amazing cocktail bar just right around the corner that I may have had a few cocktails. (laughs) Awesome. So this episode should be a lot of fun. Uh, Well, they usually are. I mean, that's different from when. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about this episode because, you know, I thought last week's episode was a really strong season premiere. It got all the characters kind of together and started to set up what is going to be this final season. And with this episode, episode two, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, I loved this episode oh my so gosh. much. I know. I know. Oh, gosh. There's, there's so much about this episode. Just again, another emotional roller coaster. But this episode did what both you and I love so much that we think that this show does so well is really concentrating on those character moments and a lot of those one on one character moments when you just have two, maybe three characters concentrating on each other. And it's oh, the dialogue and the back and forths and the one liners. Oh, so good. I love this episode. I actually think there's a good chance that when this episode is, even though we have these big spectacles to come, you know, the the battles, the war for the dawn, the war for the Iron Throne, and whatever the resolution is going to be, we may look back at this one as maybe the strongest episode of the season. This is a really, really great, great episode of television. I think this could be considered one of the strongest of the entire series. Oh, I agree. And it's just, it's so funny to me that, you know, last, last week, everybody, oh, that was one of the strongest episodes we ever had. It was so good. And this week, oh no, this is one of the strongest ones we ever had. And I'm just thinking that each episode is just going to best the one before it. And it just has that feeling like it's going to. And... This episode finally gave me, unfortunately, that feeling of finality Mm -hmm. in the show. Oh, definitely. I didn't necessarily get that feel, you know, last week because, you know, we're, you know, revisiting the characters again and we're kind of picking up where they left off and there wasn't necessarily anything new. But this one, this one, I felt the mortality of the show. Yeah, this episode to me is a masterclass in tension building. Oh my gosh, yes. And I honestly, I think my only complaint about this episode is that I can't watch it back to back with next week's episode already. Because when you put these two episodes together, I actually think they're gonna, they're gonna really, as one piece, like this week's episode and next week's battle, it's going to be something really, really special if you could push those two episodes together. It's gonna be intense. And quite honestly, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I really don't because I got emotional watching this episode again. Second week in a row that I have 
actually shed tears watching Game of Thrones. And that's two more times than I ever have before. (laughs) Well, you know, we're at a stage in this series where it's not about plot development anymore. It's actually about closing character arcs. Yeah. And that's where that sense of finality starts to come from, is we're starting to get closure on some of these character arcs. And I think there are a lot of character arcs that we're going to see ending uh, next week. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to make this episode so special. It kind of had that anticipation of a big battle, that that kind of calm before the storm. Yeah. And it was very reminiscent of the build-up to the Helm's Deep battle in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. where you have that kind of tension that's that's mounting. Only, I think, here, they had an entire hour to focus on just developing that tension. Well, I yeah, I was going to say, I think it is even more tense. I mean, yeah. leading up to, you know, with Lord of the Rings, there 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 was that as well. But this is even more, because we know how this show is. We know that not everyone is going to make it out alive. Right. With Lord of the Rings, I mean, if you read the books, you know what happens. This was so much more, so much more heart and feeling. And and yeah, maybe it's because we we got to spend more time dedicated to that. But um and and also we have more of a history with these characters too. Um but yeah, it was it was really really intense and it just it it makes me dread next week. I'm dreading it so much. I think this episode deep down is about what we fight for. Mm, yeah. If you go back and you watch it, it's everybody's kind of take on how they're going to spend their last night on earth. If you're going to die tomorrow, how do you spend tonight? And some of them look for human connection. Some of them look for intimacy. Some of them just look for companionship or drinks with friends around a fire. Everybody is kind of looking for their own different thing. But what it ultimately gets to is these little human moments that they all have and how they're going to spend their last night. These are also the things they fight for. Yeah. And it's, it, it's a good reminder of why we like these characters, why we love these characters, and what it is about humanity that's worth fighting for. And I think that's what makes this episode strike such a chord with people who've watched it and obviously are, a lot of them are really, really loving it. Well, it even struck a chord with the people who created it. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game revealed, the kind of like mini documentaries yeah. that they do. And there's a really brief snippet of Brian Cogman, who's one of the writers for the show. And it cuts off very abruptly. And it's, I think it's something that would be very easily missed, but he's, he's talking about that final montage, uh, when Podrick is singing and we're seeing little bits and pieces of, you know, all of the characters and what they're doing at that moment. And he said that that scene was meant to be written kind of as, as a love letter, basically to all of the characters. And as he's saying this, his next, the next thing that he says is because I love them so much. And as he's saying that he starts to break, he starts to crack and it, you can tell that he's holding back the tears and then, then they immediately cut it right there. But it was like, you know, he just lost it. And that I think even, oh man, if I, if I was, you know, feeling suspenseful and and dreading this next week to see his reaction with him knowing what's going to be happening and and how he's reacting, how he's emotional over it. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm really not ready for this now. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because as I was watching this last night, the thing that came to me was, I know what good storytelling demands, and good storytelling demands that we need to lose some of these characters. Yeah. But they've done such a good job with fleshing out these characters that I am totally fine with a version of this story where nobody else dies. Yeah. You know, I don't want yeah. these characters to go away. And I think that's the great thing about this this show and kind of what they've done with those characters. That said, I think next week's going to be a bloodbath and it's not going to be fun to watch. No. I mean, it'll be exciting, but it's going to be kind of heart-wrenching as well. It's going to be painful. It's going to be really, really painful. And like I said, I'm... I don't know how I'm going to prepare for it uh, because, <laughs> like I said, I've 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 gotten emotional over these last two. This next one is this season's going to be the death of me and <laughs> many of the characters in the show. There are two definitely that stand out in my mind that I think are, are gone next week. Oh, I think there's more than that. I think there's more than that, too. But I was like, no, nah, right now I'm, I'm putting my bets on these two because of what they did in this episode. I was like, no, nope, you're gone. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I also think we may have been given a clue. Mm. I'll come around to it when we get to that particular spot in our breakdown, but we may have been given a clue as to which characters live and which characters die. Okay. Or at least at least in terms of uh, one of our groupings of characters that we saw. But let's dive into the recap. This episode kicks off. Uh, again, we've got those opening credits, which are killer. We see the progression of the Army of the Dead through those little ice sheets in the opening credits. That was really the only change that I noticed. Yeah, that's the only change that I noticed right off the bat. There might be some other stuff in there, but nothing that that jumped out at me right away. But the episode starts right in with Jamie being on trial. He's there in the Great Hall of Winterfell. He's in front of Daenerys. He's in front of Sansa. He's in front of Jon Snow. And basically, they're trying to hold him accountable for the things that he's done. And I really like this scene. I thought it started off great. I kind of like the way Jamie is somewhat indignant about everything. Yeah. Like, he's not making any apologies for all of the things that he's done. Right. He talked about being at war. He talked about defending his house. He talked about all of those things. Daenerys did seem to forget to mention that he tried to kill her, too. So I thought that was a bit strange. You know what? That's true. He charged at her with a spear yeah, in that's uh, right, that's right. the yeah. Spoils of War episode last season. Yeah. Maybe she didn't know it was him. I don't know. She was busy trying to get the spear out of the dragon, so maybe she didn't... I don't know. What I do love about that scene is you get Bran and Jamie kind of sharing that moment in there. You get Brienne stepping up and vouching for Jamie, and Sansa... And her respect for Brienne kind of being the thing that that leads Sansa to her decision. Yeah, and and Bran gets in a sick burn. He does. The things we do for love. Like, oh, damn. I mean, just the look on Jamie's face, too, when he says it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the first inkling of how important Brienne is in this episode. Yeah. Because she's she's getting respect from Sansa there. Yeah. So I think that's really great stuff. You know, we also get the reveal that Cersei's army is not coming, that Tyrion is wrong yet again, and that pisses off Daenerys. So we have all of these kind of complex things that are happening here. Tyrion is still kind of on this losing streak, and uh, it seems like Daenerys is ready to kind of get rid of him. Well, and I think 
this um, really kind of showed what we've talked about with Daenerys before, that she's she's not so great at the ruling part. That's not her strength. Her strength is conquering. And and to me, this whole scene, she she came off weak in this. And it's not surprising because this is not this is not her thing. And it to me, it really showed in this. Yeah, I think that she's starting to realize what she lacks as a leader, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not willing to write her character off no, just yet. No, not at all. I think, I think she has a, a chance at redemption. She has a chance to learn. Although she does seem to be making mistakes on her own that are somewhat uh, selfish as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where, you know, next week's episode is going to take her, given the reveals that happen a little bit later on. Well, yeah, she's she's seeing a lot of the results um, and she's seen this before. A lot of the results of her conquering uh, the humanity that is underlying in that and the um, consequences of it. You know, she um, she's she's great at taking what she wants, but then afterwards she has a hard time maintaining it. Right, right. Then we get Gendry and Arya. They get a little scene together here that kind of teases some more of their chemistry. She wants that weapon that she asked him to make for her, and he doesn't have it just yet. She is sassy. She is sassy, but she's very much in control of that relationship. No doubt about it. Oh, yeah. I think that Gendry still doesn't quite perceive her the way she actually is, so he kind of gets a taste of it when she starts throwing those daggers into the uh, pillar there yeah. and making them stick. And then he's like, oh, you know what? She is tough. She can fight. I need to make that weapon. Yeah. I also do love the reaction of the guy just standing by the pillar <laughs> when she starts throwing the daggers. Yeah. He, at first, he's like, what the hell? And then with the second one, he's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so I like that they get their moment there. I feel like at this point in the episode, you're pretty certain that eventually these two are gonna are gonna get together well yeah there's some there's some heavy flirtation going on here absolutely and then we get jamie and bran in the godswood and we get jamie actually apologizing to bran yeah and i think that's kind of interesting in that bran sees this as just kind of another thing that made him who he is it's another part of that well and and this is something that we've talked about with bran before is that his his vision, his perception of everything now is so big and so grand that a lot of this minutia is not that it's necessarily beneath him, but it's like, you know, and he's even said it, I think, in the first episode. It was like, OK, what's happening right now is not important. We have something bigger we need to face. And, you know, not to say that him being pushed out of a window wasn't a big deal because it was that's what led him on his path now but it's like you know what i don't have any grudges about it i've moved on i am where i am now because of that and i wouldn't change a thing right because he can see the big picture and bran kind of calls jamie out on it when jamie says that he's sorry and bran's like you weren't then right you know, you still pushed a kid out of a window. Like, you didn't realize it was wrong then, mm-hmm. Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Jamie asks him about afterwards, and Bran says, how do you know there's an afterwards? Which, <laughs> I kind of like that. I kind of like yeah. Bran being a little cryptic there. Yeah. So that then takes us to Jamie and Tyrion. They're having their conversation about Cersei, 
and they're starting to accept their deaths at Winterfell. And, you know, they kind of, there's a callback to season one about how Tyrion wants to die. You know, and of course you get Jamie spotting Bran across the courtyard. So it's just another great scene that shows that we're kind of going back and having these callbacks. There's a little bit of character progression in here showing how far Jamie's come in this particular moment. Yeah, Jamie's all blah, 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 Tyrion, blah, blah, blah. Wait, there's Bran. <laughs> let me, let me, uh, change my focus completely. Um, yeah, it, w- it was a great, subtle moment that didn't even need words. Yeah, Tyrion talks about his own death a lot on the show. Yeah, he certainly does. And I love the fact that Jamie just completely mocked him over. He's like, yeah, we've heard it all before. Yeah, I, if you go back and on subsequent rewatches of this show, Tyrion talks about his own death almost every season. He does. And he's even mentioned it a couple times already this season, which almost leads me to believe I don't think anything is going to happen with him because of it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I feel like there's enough foreshadowing there to suggest that he's going to die. And I was also thinking that given his losing streak, uh, and given the amount of times he's been wrong and, and the kind of value that he's losing in this world, mm. I, I, I've been thinking it may be more likely that he doesn't survive. But this episode also kind of set up something else for Tyrion, I think. One last stroke of genius that we may see out of him. And what's that? I don't know what it is yet, oh. but I'll come back around to where I think we get it from. Of course, then we get Jamie and Brienne, you know, when he goes down to see her, looking at what a good, you know, squire Podrick has become. Jamie asks if he can serve under Brienne. And that another is just another great moment for Brienne here. This is a good Brienne episode, folks. It's a super good Brienne episode, and I absolutely loved it. And I'm going to reserve my thoughts for later on because there's I'm something that I, I I'm predicting for next week. But um, yeah, part one of that in this scene. Okay. Okay. But what's happening here is Brianna's starting to have a lot of respect and reverence shown for her, and this is a big thing for Jamie because Jamie is such an egotist. Even just a little while ago, he stood in front of Daenerys saying, "So what? I did all this stuff, and I would do it again." Right. And now he's kind of humbling himself in front of Brienne, which I think shows you what his feelings are for her. Well, and I think that's a huge moment for her too because she respects and reveres him. And, you know, that was one of the things that she said was like, what, you're not going to make fun of me? Like, you're you're always putting me down. And um, the fact that he's built her up so much this episode. Um, yeah, it th- this whole thing with Jamie now is huge for her. Right. So then we get a scene of Jorah and Daenerys, and basically he is asking her to forgive Tyrion. Yeah. He talks about the things that he has done in the past, but talks about how you know Tyrion has a good mind. He learns from his mistakes. And this, to me, starts to feel like closure for 
Jorah's character a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. He's somebody that I'm very nervous for next week. Yeah. And this is just kind of the first part of it. This is the first the first of, I think, three different scenes that kind of signal that, that Jorah may be in a little bit of trouble next week. Uh, then, of course, we do have him eventually kind of leading or suggesting that there's somebody else that she needs to talk to, and that is Sansa Starks. So then we get that scene between Sansa and Daenerys, and I think this is a really great scene, too. I think this is Daenerys trying to ingratiate herself to Sansa, but realizing that Sansa is much more formidable than she may have anticipated. Yeah, I thought this was a really strong scene between the two of these um characters and yeah i mean for that split moment i was like oh see there they are they're gonna be bffs now but it's like nope sansa put her foot down and she stood strong and uh yeah they were they were interrupted um and unable to finish that but uh yeah i thought i thought it was great i thought it was a really really strong scene especially for sansa what is interesting to me is the way Daenerys tries to kind of frame the idea that she didn't manipulate John, rather she's acting out of love and at, in love being a kind of form of manipulation that she's fighting John's war, so who manipulated who? That is not a great framework for understanding everything that's going on, though. No, it's it's not. And I have to say, and I did not say this in our last episode, we were talking about um, episode one of this season, that <laughs> it's it's so strange to me to hear and to see Daenerys talking about John and how much she loves him and everything. And I have to say, there is little to no chemistry between the two of them for me. Um, you know, when we last saw them at the end of last season, it was like, oh, it was hot and steamy and they had this love scene and that was great. But then when you're seeing the two of them, um, I, I don't know, I guess it was better when there was a little bit more tension between the two of them, you know, when they were, um, kind of at odds and getting to know each other a little bit better when he was on Dragonstone, uh, before they sealed the deal, I guess, on the ship. But now it's like any of that chemistry to me seems to be gone. Like I didn't feel anything from them last week. Huh. It was just it was very awkward and strange. And um, well, now after John found out the information about him, now it's definitely awkward because um, he was spent most of this episode just completely avoiding her. I think the chemistry thing also is impacted by the idea that these feel like doomed lovers. Yeah, maybe. Even Varys said it last week, nothing lasts. That mm. This is heading for a bad ending one way or another, so we don't invest too much on the front end of it. Mm, maybe. And I, I mean, that could be part of it, because honestly, Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark are both very charismatic people, and they are both, you know, charming people. So um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily the chemistry as the characters, which could be a thing. I, I don't I, I think that you could be right that, that they're characters. There is kind of a natural friction more than there is a chemistry. Based off of what they want out of the world seems to mm. be like, you know, it like think of the way John's relationship with Daenerys is versus the way his relationship with Egret was. Egret was much more of a free spirit and Daenerys is much more 
goal centered. Right. And I think that, you know, the, the different character, different characteristics of these characters, uh, impact the chemistry too. There is something that, um, I definitely want to get into later about Daenerys and John because I had, I had a very different thought, um, something that came about towards the end of this episode that kind of didn't 100% change my idea of an end game, but it was kind of an, it's, it's, I think a question that is worthwhile to discuss that I will just leave that as a tease that we can talk about that when we get to the end scene uh, with John and Daenerys. So this scene between Daenerys and Sansa, I really like it too. It seems like things are going well until Sansa's like, okay, cool. We're getting along and stuff, but what about the North? Let's get down to the politics of it. Yeah. Because you want to talk about conquering the Iron Throne. I want to talk about the North. And I really like that. And then the tension kind of starts to ramp up again, but it's broken by Theon coming back. And, you know, he obviously tells Daenerys that Yara's taking back Pike and her name. But then he's there to fight for Sansa. And you get that great reunion between those two characters. And I couldn't help but notice the way the camera cuts to Daenerys here. Yeah. And it reminded me of something Tyrion said to her in a previous season. That you're going to need to inspire devotion if you want to win the Seven Kingdoms. Yep. If you want to win the Iron Throne. And I think what she's seeing here is that Sansa does seem to inspire devotion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and again, it's just reiterating that fact that Daenerys, she doesn't necessarily have great, she doesn't have a great bedside manner. She doesn't have great people skills. She's really good at conquering. But then when it comes to that heart and devotion and, and caring in that way, it's almost like that's, it's almost that's completely foreign to her. And it's understandable. I mean, look at at how she, you know, has has grown up and she was sold yeah, off and, yeah. and everything was a struggle and a fight. And and she quite literally has had to fight from the bottom up. And so it's not surprising that she doesn't have that ability to connect yeah. that way. And the good thing about Daenerys is that she's always been able to learn from her mistakes. Right. So the hope would be that she's seeing this and, and has some sort of realization about the kind of person that she needs to be if she is going to be successful in ruling. Mm. Then we get a scene in the courtyard of Winterfell. Of course, there's that great Winterfell set that's just so awesome that uh, I did watch the uh, game reveal thing and it has, you know, working, working uh, brewery. A working brewery in there. And a bakery. and A yeah. bakery. Amazing. Lots of cool stuff. And, you know, then we get that scene with Davos and Gilly and that little girl coming up asking for food. Uh, a lot of this reminded me of some of that pre-Helm's Deep tension building yeah. from the Two Towers. Uh, this This scene is really great because you look at that little girl and you know exactly what Davos is thinking. Oh, yeah. He's thinking about Shireen. Yeah. Yeah. And and even uh, Gilly as well, because Gilly had met Shireen, too. Mm, true. Yeah. So you get that really great scene here. And 
I gotta tell you, you know, she Gilly convinces that little girl to go down to the crypts with her. I don't know how many times. By by my count, it was at least four times in this one episode where it was mentioned that the crypts of Winterfell are safe. Yeah. And you know what that means? That they're not. That they are not safe at all. And I don't know what the hell's going to happen down there, but I would fully anticipate that something bad's going to happen into the in the crypts. Yeah. And as much as I hate to say it, and as horrific as it would be, it would still be really badass for the people that are buried in the crypts to come alive and start crawling out of their their holdings. It would yeah. be so horrific. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering if they would go there, but um, which is possible because we've seen. We've seen a clip with Arya looking like she's running through the crypts, terrified. Yeah, we don't know exactly where she is, no. but she is in that trailer running through somewhere in Winterfell with a really bad head wound. Mm. And uh, we know Arya is not the type to get scared. So, yes, I did float a crazy theory that it would be like the headless bones of Ned Stark <laughs> running after her. But it could be something else. It could be that the Night King gets down there. It could, I was also thinking that, you know, what if a character like the Hound dies and becomes a white and it's him chasing her down there? Oh, my God. You know, what is that? What would that look like? Yeah. So I think the crypts of Winterfell are set up for something really interesting and probably pretty frightening, too, because the crypts are very mysterious. Nobody really even knows how big they are. They're just these long, dark corridors, and you don't know what else is going to be happening in there. So I think that's going to be something interesting that we're going to definitely get revealed to us. We then have the Night's Watch in the form of Ed, old Dolorous Ed, and then, of course, Tormund and Beric. They show back up after their trip to the last hearth, and we get that great reunion where John is running to hug Ed, and Tormund almost tackles him to the ground. <laughs> really good stuff there. Tormund is so delightful this episode, too. He really is, which is another thing that makes me think he's not going to last much longer. <laughs> oh, don't say that. But, you know, you think about how far the show has come and what we initially heard about the wildlings when you first meet Tormund, when John is in Mance Raider's camp, to where they are now, to this kind of brotherhood that they've all formed, this unity that they've brought, um, primarily because of John. Yeah. And then, of course, they get that information that before the, before the sunlight tomorrow, the White Walkers are going to be upon them. The army of the dead is coming. And that kind of sets in motion the the ramping up of preparations because they know they don't have much time. Well, and then also the, the reality of um, them saying that anybody that's not here is with them. Yeah. I mean, that really kind of struck me as well. Like, everybody else is gone. If they have not made it here to Winterfell there with the Night King. That was frightening. That also leads into a really killer voiceover of John talking through the preparations and the battle strategy as we're seeing some stuff happening on screen. Some really, really cool stuff happening there. And then that takes us into this strategy meeting, which is one of the coolest 
scenes that we've ever had in Game of Thrones. When you consider how many key characters are around that table strategizing against the army of the dead. Yeah. These are our main characters strategizing in this kind of war for the dawn. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's, and man, (laughs) I'm almost at a loss for words. There's so many cool things leading up to this. You know, when, when, um, I believe it's during that voiceover with John where you're seeing some of these things that they're, that they've done to prepare Winterfell for this, where you're seeing shards of dragon glass lining the battlements. You're seeing these crisscross, um, I don't know what they're called. I, I, yeah, the word for it is, has escaped me, but these crisscross, um, spikes of, of wood that have all been embedded, um, with sp- shards of dragon glass, you know, it just in preparation for, you know, all of these whites and white walkers that are going to hopefully meet their demise on these spikes. And, right. um, yeah, it's, it's Winterfell has undergone a transformation and it's, it's, uh, an intense battlement right now. What's really interesting to me too is that this scene, and it actually happens one other time in this episode, there are two shots, two shots in this episode that I think are absolutely iconic shots for this series. And the camera doesn't linger on them. There's no real musical cues for them, but they're epic and incredible if you're a fan of the show. One is in this very scene with this strategy session that's taking place where we get a shot of the four living Stark children all all next to each other, mm. all unified together, ready to kind of lead this defense of Winterfell. And because you, you have Sansa, you have Jon, you have Bran in the background, and Arya right there. This is all four Stark kids in one shot. Yeah. That definitely hasn't it's, happened. It's, yeah. And then, of course, you have all these other people across the table. You got Jamie and Jon strategizing. You have Brienne there at the table. You have Davos there. You have Varys, who's basically set decoration at this point, because he's had so little to do. <laughs> Uh, Tormund is there. All of these characters, all of these important critical characters at this critical time. I love this scene so much. And how amazing is it though, knowing, knowing the past of each of these characters, knowing what they've all been through to get there, to see them all working together. This is this is what we were talking about um I believe in the in regards to the last episode is that they weren't a team. You know, everybody was coming together but they really haven't actually come together. This scene shows them coming together and working together. Right. Yeah, I agree. I was I was hoping that we would get a scene like this that would kind of start to show what an alliance between these characters would would truly look like. If you go back and and listen to some of the behind the scenes stuff, I can't remember which one it was. It was Benioff or Weiss. They said the important thing about this scene is to understand the layout of Winterfell and what the characters' expectations are of the battle, of the attack, and of what success looks like. Mm. So... They show us that overhead map. So I have a feeling that some, that, that our expectations or the characters' expectations are going to be subverted greatly. Mm. 
there's something that they're missing in this scene, I think. And I think that's what uh, they were trying to tell us in that behind the scenes thing. Well, I think the key to that is what we just talked about would possibly be the crypts. The crypts could definitely be be the way they infiltrate. Everything could start in the crypts. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, John does mention the crypts in the scene. So <laughs> again, we're like, yeah, those aren't safe. Yeah. But one thing that's also really cool here, think of the additional exposition we get about the White Walkers. With We know exactly what they want from this scene. And not only that, we learned from Dave Hill, the writer of the first episode, what that burning spiral symbol means. So with that little interview that he did, and here we basically now have a full understanding of what the White Walkers want, what the Night King wants. And I'm excited about that idea. <laughs> I'm... I don't know. I'm kind of... I, I, I'm indifferent to it. And... Because it's... Uh, so what is it that they want? They want Bran. Because Bran... They don't just want Bran. But yeah, go ahead. Because Bran, you know, as Sam was talking about as well, Bran has the history. He holds all of the knowledge. And so they basically want to get rid of him because of that. I'm missing something here because that is not strong enough for me. So the way that I've gathered... So first of all, the spiral symbol, for those who haven't read the, the Dave Hill interview... The spiral symbol evokes where the Night King was created by the Children of the Forest. So if you go back and you see that episode where we see the creation of the Night King, where he gets the dragonglass dagger in the heart, there's that overhead shot of that kind of that spiral henge that exists around the heart tree. He has adopted that symbol, the Night King has, as kind of a sacrilege, as kind of like the way that like a... a Satanist would use an upside-down cross. He uses it to kind of mock those who created him. It's a symbol of his own creation, but it's also kind of like a, a look-what-you-made-me-do kind of taunt to the living. And in this episode, we get the reveal that he wants to kill the Three-Eyed Raven because he is human history. He is the living history of man. And if he kills that and kills everybody else, he has wiped out mankind. And I think that is a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting motivation because what it really gets back to is what Sam says there, where, you know, what are we without our, without, without uh, memories of things? You know, who are we if we don't have them? We're just animals. Mm. And he wants to take that memory. He wants to, to take all of that away. And I really like that as a motivation. It, I don't think it needs to be any further explained than that. Hmm. I don't think it will be. So I like that idea. I'm not too keen on the idea of... I, I love the idea of Theon saying, I tried to take this castle from you, now I'm going to defend you in it. And because of that, that's his full arc redemption. He's totally dead next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th there's something about this plan, though, that, like, Bran's just gonna roll his wheelchair out to the godswood, 
and just wait for the Night King to hang out. Yeah. And John and the dragons are going to try to be close by to get him. And Theon's going to be there with his Ironborn, but they can't get too close because he's too smart for to fall into this trap. I actually think this trap, I don't know if this is going to bring the Night's King to where they want him to be. I don't think this trap's going to work at all. No, I don't either. But it was important to the writers that we understand the plan. After we get the planning scene, we get this interesting scene between Tyrion and Bran, where Tyrion wants to know Bran's story, and we don't get to see that scene. No, we don't. And I was really frustrated by that. I love the setup to it. I love the, you know, Bran is like, it's a really long story. And <laughs> Tyrion's like, well, it's, if we weren't trapped, you know, too bad we're not trapped in a castle with nothing to do. You know, I've, right. I've got all the time in the world right now. And then it cuts. It's like, no, I want to, I want to hear this exchange. I want to hear the questions that Tyrion is going to ask. I want to hear what he's told. I want to hear if Bran tells him anything at all. Yeah. I don't think this is a throwaway. I think this is going to have an impact down the line. Mm. Uh, we also get Masande and Grey Worm kind of talking about whatever their plans would be after the war. Kind of a sweet scene between these two where she, you know, where he talks about how his people are violent and he'll protect her. Yeah. This also feels kind of doomed to me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'd love to see them escape Westeros, but it just does not feel like it's going to happen. Right. We get Sam, John, and Ed standing in on uh, you know on the battlements of Winterfell, kind of one final uh, watch. We also get ghosts showing up in the background there. Yeah, just a little bit. Sorry, folks. All the CG um, is going to be used in the next episode. I'm sure we didn't have budget for elephants, and we don't have much more of a budget for ghost either. So yeah, you just get him off to the side. So we get a good scene there. The only reason I really mention this scene is because, again, we get a mention about how safe it is down in the crypts. Mm -hmm. But it is good to see Ed, Sam, and John. And again, this kind of loops back to earlier seasons of the show. We're getting this kind of closure on some of these arcs. We get the Hound, Arya, and Beric having their little brief reunion there. Uh, I like the idea that we're getting a, a, a moment between... Arya and the Hound one more time. This was a, a lovely scene, I thought. Because I always enjoy the scenes with the Hound because the writing for him and then also the delivery of his lines is always so just delightful. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just I just love his quips back to uh, Beric Dondarrion. I, I love it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm I, I'm fifty fifty on what's going to happen to the Hound because I partly think that he may well die in the Battle of Winterfell, but I still feel like he has unfinished business with his brother. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think he's safe. Unless unless he dies and the White Walkers win in Winterfell, roll down to King's Landing, and it's Zombie Hound versus Zombie Mountain. <laughs> okay, I would I would I would go for that. I mean, that's another way that it could happen, right? Sure. Uh, then, of course, we have our fireside chat crew that starts to form there when we get that scene that starts with Tyrion and 
Jamie talking about how their father would be shocked to see them defending Winterfell. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, Brienne and Pod come in. They start to get ready for drinks. That scene develops out a little bit later. I really love the... The moments between Pod and Tyrion with Brienne's like, no, 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 you're not, you're, you're not going to drink. Okay, well, half a cup. And Tyrion is like over giving him an overflowing cup. It was just these, again, just these great little moments that sometimes don't even need dialogue that say so much. Right. I totally agree. And then we get our Arya and Gendry scene where he delivers the weapon to her and she decides to jump his bones. I was so uncomfortable watching this. You know, a lot of people are, but here's my thing. I've actually seen some people saying that, that like, they, they don't like this scene at all because Arya's just a kid, blah, 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 blah. She's not. Right. In the show, she's 18 years old. Uh, I mean, Maisie Williams herself is in her 20s. But here's the thing that kind of annoys me. I am so tired of people clutching their pearls over the idea of a woman with agency engaging in a consensual sex scene, yet they have no problem with a young girl murdering the fuck out of people. Well, okay. Arya is a butcher. She... Okay. My problem and why I was uncomfortable was not that. And I think you know that. Actually, the fact that she, I, I love the fact how she kind of took control and was like, nope, this is what I want. Take off your own damn pants. And I, I, I liked that. And I was like, yeah, go. But then as soon as like it all kind of started happening and then I'm realizing I've, I've, I've known her, known her, quote unquote, since she was a little girl. And now it's like, oh, wait, this is little Arya Stark. I'm feeling uncomfortable now. Um, that's what made me uncomfortable because it just made me think of her as, you know, young Arya Stark. But, you know, look how much she's changed. But no, I mean, as far as that goes, her assertiveness with this, I thought it was totally badass and I was totally into it until she started taking off her clothes and then I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I just I just feel like people just got to get over it. They just got to get over it. I mean, she cut up a dude's kids and cooked them in a pie. She did, but I think she cut people's throats. But and faces. I think I think you're taking this a little bit differently, though, than why people say that they're uncomfortable. I don't think they're uncomfortable because she had sex. I think it's uncomfortable because we watch somebody that we've seen from a little girl now doing this, and that's what guess, it was but- that it was uncomfortable. Not the fact that it's a woman doing this, and oh, the fact that she's having sex is uncomfortable. But yeah, let her kick ass. I'm okay with that. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's the fact guess, that we still think of her as a little girl in many respects. Yeah, but I think there's also kind of a weird double standard. I think there's kind of a weird double standard about it. Like, I don't know. It just feels strange to me. Uh, like, it's also life. People get older. They don't stay 12 years old forever. No, they don't. But if you had somebody that you used to babysit and they were a young girl... And now they are a teenager and they've come into their own and they're starting to talk about having sex. You might feel a little uncomfortable, not because of the fact that she's doing that, but it's like you still think of them as that young girl. You still think of them in that innocence, I guess. Now, granted, yes, I know 
Arya is hardly innocent with especially with the stuff that she's done but you always think of her as that little girl and then to think of and, and seeing her you know taking off her clothes in that manner it's like wow that's oh my gosh I'm uncomfortable this feels weird because I still think of her as this little girl maybe so I just don't feel that way about it I, I don't know I just don't like I didn't find the scene to be gratuitous at all. No, I didn't, I didn't see either. any real issues with that. Um, you know, I think it's part of her it's part of her story. It's part of her journey. Well, of course it is. But that <laughs> Oh, it's part of her story? Okay, then I'm totally not uncomfortable anymore. You're right. I, I mean I'm just not I'm just not made uncomfortable by You don't mean to tell that. me if there was a little girl, like you have a young niece. Or a young neighbor that you've known since they were like six. And now all of a sudden you're seeing her taking off her clothes and being assertive with another man or with a man. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to be like, Oh man, that's, that's so weird because I still, I still see her as this little girl. I feel slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, when you personalize it that way. Yeah, but, but we've we have been with her as she's grown up. We've we feel attached to these characters. That's feeling personal. I guess, but like if I feel like if Bran had a sex scene, yeah, I would feel it, really it uncomfortable be, about it that too. Feel as weird, no, yes, it would. I don't know. Yeah, it totally would. I don't know. I just feel like it's a function of time. It, it you know. It happens. People grow up. They get older. They bang it out. And good for Arya. That's what I'm getting at. Good for her. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's get back to the gang by the fire, because this, I think, is probably the best scene in the entire uh, show for for this particular season thus far, although I do really love the the Sam and John and the Crips in episode one. Uh, this is of course where you know we get the I I love Tormund's posturing as he's trying to kind of like woo Brienne by talking about his story of killing a giant and then jumping in bed with his wife, which is super weird and creepy, but he thinks it's super impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody is just completely creeped out by him. I like the way he calls Jamie the king killer. They say people call you the king killer. And he's like, I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> uh, not not real. I feel like a lot of people let that kind of wash over them without realizing that he botched the phrase Kingslayer. You think so? Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't heard a lot of people talking about that. Well, I think because as far as things that have happened in this scene, there's a lot of other bigger fish to fry i guess yeah uh but you know again torment is kind of at his best here he is at his most decent and charming self yeah and i think that's great and of course he talks about knighting brianne and uh, i don't know it was just really really great and then jamie obviously does knight brianne and it's it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable moment. This is the moment that made me cry. I totally yeah, cried. 
Yeah, there's a level of intimacy in it as well. Like, it's it's the way these two characters show love for each other, I think. Well, that's not why I cried. I cried because this is this is her lifelong dream. Yeah. This is validation. This is something she only dreamed about that could ever happen. That she just right. didn't think ever would. It's just she just wrote it off as this would never happen because it's tradition and it just doesn't. And, and it's made more meaningful by the fact that it's Jamie that does it. Right. And the, the look in her eyes while he is, is doing that. And then as she goes to stand and she just has the, the slightest bit of quiver in her chin where this is just so overwhelming for her, but she's still able to, keep her composure only barely and and i love the fact too that after every, every everybody starts to applaud and and Tyrion announces you know uh sir brienne of tarth you know knight of the seven kingdoms she gets the biggest smile on her face and i think it's one of the first times that we've seen brienne smile on the show yeah, it really is. And they make it a, they make it a, a point of kind of doing a very slight zoom on her as she does kind of have that smile on her face. Yeah. It was an amazing, amazing moment. And I was so overcome by it as well that I just, I, I just lost it. And even watching the recap when I was watching the, um, uh, the game revealed thing, watching it again, even from the different perspectives of them shooting it. I got emotional over it again. It was such a powerful moment, especially for women who have tried to break through glass ceilings, you know, and this was such an amazing validation moment for her. And it just it it just completely um, I cried for her. (laughs) <laughs> she yeah, she did not yeah she did not she did not allow herself to fully give in so i i shed the tears on her behalf <laughs> well brianne's the most knightly of everybody oh completely she most embodies what it means to be a knight and i think it's it's a well-deserved moment for her the other thing that's kind of interesting about this scene is there's been all this kind of morose talk about, you know, we're all going to die tomorrow. We're all going to die tomorrow. And in this moment, Tyrion mentions, I think we might live. Mm. And then he talks about how he survived the Battle of the Blackwater. Uh, Davos has survived battles. Brienne has survived battles. Uh, you know, he goes through some of these characters. And I was actually wondering if his change in opinion comes from his conversation with Bran. Ah, Okay. Because I was wondering if he somehow gets information from Bran in that conversation and is then able to devise a plan based off of that information. Mm. Like, I still feel like Tyrion may have a stroke of genius up his sleeve yet that's going to help save everybody. Yeah. I think they're kind of building him up for that to potentially be the case. Mm. And I was also wondering if the people that he mentions in that scene as he's kind of talking about their achievements are going to be the people that survive and the people that he doesn't mention are going to be people that, that die. Ah. Well, that would make sense that he's being set up to have some kind of master plan because of, especially with 
Daenerys highlighting all the mistakes that he's made. Right. Earlier in this episode. Right. So who is it that he does not mention? Podrick. Mm. And does he mention Tormund? I don't think so. I don't know. He definitely mentions Brienne, Davos, Jamie, and himself. Mm. And I could see a situation where those four do survive. I don't remember if he mentions Tormund or not. He definitely doesn't mention Podrick, and I also feel like Podrick's story may be done, too. Yeah. Um. So that could be something there. I don't know. But it was something that, that raised an eyebrow to me, the way Tyrion's kind of demeanor changes somewhat. That's really interesting, because I, I definitely did not think about that. Um, I like that idea. But uh, because of this scene, though, um, that's another... I guess redemption. That's another, um, gold medal moment for Jamie Lannister that just makes me think again that he doesn't have long. Yeah. I mean, which yeah. would go against the theory that you have with Tyrion mentioning people's names, but I really, I really don't think that, um, I would be surprised if Jamie Lannister survives past, um, this next week. I actually think he's got a chance of getting out of Winterfell. Hmm. It depends on which way the story goes. Yeah. And I like, I like, and that's what I don't know. Uh, because one of the things the showrunners have said in the kind of behind the scenes stuff is they keep referring to this episode as the last night together. Yeah. So I feel like whatever the results are going to be, whoever survives will be scattered. Right. And just because they survive Winterfell, they may not survive out on their own. Mm. So they may have resolutions to their story arcs that exist outwardly and not necessarily part of this final encounter, whatever we're building towards. Right. Then Jorah, we have two scenes with Jorah where I think these are kind of uh, strike two and strike three for his character because we have him kind of with that scene with Liana Mormont where they're arguing about her going down to the crypts, yet another crypt mention. Yep. <laughs> um and, you know, she says no, because she's not going to listen to Jorah. And then, of course, Sam gives Jorah a heartsbane, and he talks about wielding it, defending the realm of men. And I feel like that is a pretty good, a pretty good cl- close to Jorah Mormont's character. Yeah. What do you think about Sam, though? Do you think Sam's got a shot at, at surviving? Oh, yeah. I totally think Sam is going to survive, because I still... I, I think, I think George R.R. R. Martin sees himself as Sam in many respects. Um, and so I, I really see Sam making this out alive and him being the, the recorder of all of this, that he's going to write the story. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of Sam surviving. Uh, I don't know about Gilly. And the baby. I don't know. Because if they're down in the crypts and shit goes down, who knows what's going to happen there. Yeah. Then, of course, we get this beautiful montage right before the uh, right before the final scene of Tyrion asking for a song. And, of course, Pod starts singing about Jenny of Old Stones. And some of this comes directly from the books. And some of it, some of the lyrics in the song were added by Brian Cogman. But, like, it's really interesting because this song, you know, in the books, it has 
ties to all kinds of different characters, like the Ghost of High Heart, um, you know, Duncan Targaryen. It has ties to Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, and it has all of these different ties. But it's a really great song uh, because it has that kind of, I don't know, that kind of, that that note of sadness to it. And we're getting this montage of how all of these characters are spending their last night. Yeah, it's they they came out with a music video or a lyric video um, with this. And if you haven't seen it yet on YouTube, definitely go and check that out because it's just it it intercuts not only the the bits that we saw in the show, but it expands it. It's like the song I think is even a little bit longer in this music video and it shows um, little bits of each of the characters um, throughout many of the seasons. And it really does. Again, it just reiterates that finality and it just makes you feel, God, this is all, this is ending. It really feels like it's coming to an end with this. And it's so sad. And that's where we see those human connections. We see Aria you know, laying in bed, kind of unable to sleep after, you know, her encounter with Gendry. We see Sansa and Theon just kind of enjoying, like, a meal together. You know, all of these different little human connections that we're seeing. And, you know, again, reminding us the things that we fight for. What humanity is fight for, fighting for, what the living are fighting for. And I really like that. It's It's a really great way to finish up this episode and it then takes us into this final reveal of John talking to Daenerys about who he is. This scene and, was so intense for me. Yeah, absolutely. And like the crypts again, yeah. we have a big reveal in the crypts kind of parallels what Sam told John in the crypts last week. You know, John basically tells the entire story. Amelia Clark does a great job with her reaction. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that kind of stood out, the subtext of this scene, is after John tells her, she says, you'd be the last male Targaryen and you'd have a claim on the Iron Throne. Right. And John has an interesting look on his face. And I think John's reaction is, how is that the thing that you're thinking about? Yes. And because of that, I had... An interesting idea that I just, it, I didn't think about it at all. And until that moment, because of what she said, because of the, the look on her face when she says it, it makes me wonder how thirsty is she for the Iron Throne? Cause that's all she's ever wanted. And knowing right now, the one thing that potentially stands between her and the iron throne is john would she attempt to take him out is she that thirsty for it that she would go crazy targaryen and try to kill him yeah i don't know she did call it john's war earlier in the episode so it does make me wonder if there would be like some sort of battlefield betrayal yeah that would happen and i really hope not i mean damn that would be cold it would be, be colder than a white walker it, it, it would be but it makes me wonder you know how how badly does she want it 
it, and that was something that that Sam posed to John last episode. You know yeah. that that he was able to set aside his crown, you know, to save his people. Would she be able to do the same? Right. I don't know because you know we've seen up until this point, and and we've mentioned it time and time again that she's a conqueror. She doesn't do so well at the people connections and and at the ruling part. So that's her wheelhouse is is conquering and taking what she wants, right? And and that's been her motivation and her driving force. Would she forego this? Uh, battle or use an opportunity in this battle to try and take out John. Yeah, I mean it's certainly possible. Do I think it's likely no? I think that I think that Daenerys could go that route, but I think what's more likely is that she has some redemption yeah. on her own here. Yeah. I don't now, if I she don't know flees, if she, that's one thing. Yeah, I don't know if she would. I don't know if they would go there because that is pretty fucked up and potentially really dark. Um I, I don't know if they would, but I thought it was a really interesting question and it, it sounds like it I think it would be interesting to see her grapple with that. And and, and yeah. it looks like maybe she did for just that moment because it was the the way that she said it and kind of the look on her face, it's like you can hear or practically see the gears grinding in her head. You're now the one thing that stands between me and this goal. Right. And I think John's reaction is more of, well, what about the fact that we're like in love and stuff? Yeah. I- like John, John does not want power. He's no. a reluctant leader. And I feel like for him, it's more a matter of, how do we deal with the the romantic aspect of our relationship as opposed to whatever the power dynamics are? Oh yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, there are there are ways to reconcile that, but she seems to instantly take it as now John is a threat. Yes. And I think that they're going to have to hash that out. Unfortunately, they don't get a whole lot of time because then we hear the horns and we see that the army of the dead is on their way. And that ends up being one of the final shots here. But earlier, I said there are two shots that are epic that kind of get glossed over. One is of the Stark kids in the planning session. The other is right at the end of the episode when John and Daenerys come out and, you know, they're with Tyrion and they're looking out over the battlements of Winterfell. You have the three main characters of this series, John, Tyrion, and Daenerys all looking out at the army of the dead. That is an epic shot. That's something we've been waiting years to see. Yeah. Some people call them the three heads of the dragon. Yeah. Like there they are in that moment. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And we, it, the camera doesn't linger on it for more than a second, but it sets up the stakes. Oh gosh. And, and you just knew that that's where the episode was going to end. And it was like, oh, breathe right now. Because I have a feeling that next Sunday, when I watch this, our first supersized episode, I'm pretty gonna, I'm pretty much gonna be holding my breath the entire time. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna breathe. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm already so intense, and uh, I will be setting my alarm for 4 a.m. The last two weeks have been 3 a.m., but I have moved another time zone 
over. So it'll be now 4 a.m. that I'm setting my alarm and there is no way I am missing this and taking any chance of getting any spoilers. So I will be springing up uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed. The only time I can ever say that I will have done that at 4 a.m. I will be up so quickly and and dreading it at the same time. Now, some people are saying that we didn't see the Night King in that shot of the army approaching. No, we didn't. And most most likely because he's on Dragonback and maybe they didn't need to include him, uh, you know, in the budget. because That's just one scene with a dragon that you don't necessarily need. You get the context of yeah. it. But it has led some people to speculate that maybe the Night's King is not going to show up at the battle. That maybe he is going to make his way south to King's Landing. Oh, interesting. Is that a possibility? Oh shit. What if what if we see a zombie Cersei? You never know. You never know. Uh I think that's an interesting idea. However, it does seem to be undercut by the preview for episode 3 in which John actually says the Night King is coming. Mm. But we don't know the context of it. Right. So, you know, he could just be saying that in general. Uh but that is a theory that's out there because we didn't actually see the Night King, and usually that would be something that they would reveal. Hmm. So who knows? Or maybe the Night King is going to approach from the south because they have been anticipating, and if you look at the battle plans, that the attack was coming from the north. Right. Maybe he's going so to approach that's from another the option too. Yeah, maybe. But I can't wait for next week's episode, but I loved this episode as a reminder as to why we love these characters, the tension that's been built, the finality that some of them are given, or the perceptions of death that they all seem to have. You know, if this is going to be like a Helm's Deep in that next episode, will there be somebody doing the, the you know, the showing up with like Gandalf and the Rohirrim coming down the hill in, at the last minute like is there going to be something like that that's in there I don't know but I love the way this episode just sets up something that's going to be intense and heartbreaking and incredible hopefully yeah alright so you guys have heard our thoughts on Game of Thrones season 8 episode 2 A Night of the Seven Kingdoms but we'd like to hear yours as well so hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdFlixChill. You can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you're listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Also, you can find all of our new episodes at lrmonline.com, and while you're there, listen to some of the other great podcasts that they have. Definitely worth checking out. Wanted to thank all of you guys for listening. We'll be back with another Game of Thrones recap next week. Until next time, may the Force be with you, because the night is dark and full of terrors. Music